good afternoon to everyone and thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon with here with Caroline and myself and looking down the um, uh, 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 profiles of people in the room you are people who come back week after week so thank you very much for that and you know for those who don't know I'm Patricia Ogan Faber and I do a podcast show to help people maximize property values it's called Maximising Property Values, and it's on the main podcast platforms. So, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible. Um, that usually is a monologue, which I do just once a month on the first of the month. But since November, I added a guest series. And my guest today is Caroline Pattinson. We are hopefully going to get to know Caroline a lot more today. She is amazing. I, I've, I've, I met her on Clubhouse, but she is one lady whom I completely respect. And I don't say that lightly. <laughs> so who is Caroline? Caroline has 25 years of experience in property specialising in HMOs. She is an expert and she's passionate about co-living. She does back to brick refurbs. So you need to tell us, Caroline, a bit a bit later on whether or not you're still doing that. But let's just hold that thought. And she does serviced accommodation in both the UK and in Spain. She also does luxury and country house renovations. Now, oh, this is why Caroline, <laughs> Caroline and I just click so much. <laughs> um, I love what she's doing. Anyway, Caroline, welcome to Maximising Property Values. But before we go into your property activities, we would like to get to know you a little bit better. So I've got three questions for you today. And I'll actually do them um, one by one. So I'll ask the first one. And once you're done with that, I'll ask you the second one. And once you've answered that one, I'll ask you the third. So this is your first question. What was the most satisfying job that you had before you became self-employed? And what was that job? And why was it the most satisfying one that you had before you went <sighs> to work for yourself oh patricia i didn't get advanced warning of these no one at all did i no one does <laughs> <laughs> so i'm completely on the hoof with this okay so i'm going to say um i worked for natwest bank from the age of 16 um when I rebelled against my parents uh, wanted me to go to university, you know, as, as they planned for me to do, um, because I wanted to go out with my friends. Um, and so I, I basically jacked in my A-levels and uh, had a huge argument with my parents and, and, and went to work in that West. And, and my, my parents were so furious. They said, don't you dare think that you can just leave that job, um, it, you know, once you realise how hard it is going to work every day. So I stayed in that West for 25 years because I was too scared to leave. <laughs> Uh, but my most satisfying job was, um, I would have to say, out of, you know, out of that time was that uh, when I was uh, back in about 1993, 94, I was was working in, in, in NatWest and I 
decided that I needed to earn some more money and you know have a proper career out of it and so I qualified as a mortgage advisor and as a financial advisor and did all my financial qualifications in the bank and I know Patricia obviously you're in a law background so you know we both have a, a corporate background um, which have served us in our property journeys and, and, and I would I always say that Qualifying as a financial advisor and in particularly a mortgage advisor was the university education that I didn't have because it opened my eyes instantly to um, wealth and, and what was actually out there. You know, I was I was paid, you know, getting paid about £14,000 a year, working 70 hours a week, making other people wealthy. And one day, uh, it was at the time when... Um, the mortgage regulations had just changed to allow ordinary people to get into buy-to-let. And so a lot of the, the bank's more affluent customers who were typically had businesses and they, they wanted to get into property for the retirement or they wanted to buy a piece of land or they wanted to go and buy a barn or you know a, a rental property. And that was a big thing at that time. You know, Joe Public, ordinary people couldn't do it, but people were starting to do it. And, and I was particularly trained in this because I was interested in it. And I specialised in it. And so every day I was helping people get into property and they'd say, oh, we don't know how we can do it. We haven't got the deposit. And I would say, well, if you look at pulling a bit of money out of your house or doing this or doing this, you can get into it. And then six, 12 months later, they'd come back saying, oh, Caroline, absolutely fantastic. That property's flying or that piece of land's, you know, doing well. And can you, can you finance me on the next one? And I would go out on site to have a look at some of these places because it was in the days when it wasn't just computer says no or yes. Um, and I actually had some lending authority. So I would actually go out with customers to look at properties and stuff and go, yeah, we think that's a goer. And then one day I just suddenly thought, why am I doing this sat here in an office and <laughs> um, helping other people make all this money? And maybe, maybe, just maybe I could do it myself. So uh, I sneaked off down to the local estate agents on my lunch hour one day because it was very frowned upon to have your own business when you worked for the bank it was considered a conflict of interest so you, it was very much frowned upon so i started to build my property empire at the age of about 24 when uh, by buying um, houses on the sly um, in my lunch hour as a mortgage advisor using my knowledge um, and i've still got some of those houses today Ooh, okay Again, I'm going to hold my thoughts on that because we are going to come back to that. Um, but it's it's so interesting that I'm talking to someone who remembers how it was when not everyone could get a buy-to-let mortgage. It was just a select few. It was seen to be a very privileged, you know, it was it was for the it was for the wealthy. And I still think that even when George Osborne bought the Section 24 tax in and even this greedy landlord, horrible tag that all of us you know want to disassociate with um i think it's some of it was born out of the days when it was only accessible for people who had you know a certain level of of wealth yeah is, 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 isn't it just sad it's it's nice though that things have opened up but yeah i do remember those days and although i wouldn't have considered myself wealthy i think i was one of the people who actually benefited from it because um I had a broker who was able to negotiate for me a line of credit of three million pounds. And it was, you know, wow. go out, Patricia, you can go spend that. As long as you pay a 20% deposit, it's absolutely fine. And as long as it values up, you know, here you are, three million pounds. <laughs> and that, and that, and that, 
amazing. You know, three million pounds is a lot of money. And I was doing that for customers. And then one day I suddenly thought, I wonder if I could possibly do it for myself. And that was my first big light bulb moment. <laughs> wow. Great stuff. And you know, as you were talking, I was chuckling away in the background thinking, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So here's <laughs> your number two question. What is the worst job that you ever worked at? And why do you say it's the worst one, you know, of everything that you did? So obviously it's going to be another NatWest um, role, but yeah, 25 years. Um, uh, which role did you hate the most? Oh, this, yeah, such great questions. You can really catch them on the hoof. Well, uh, you know, the, when I joined when I was 16, my instructions were, um, there's 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 where you make the tea, there's where you make the coffee, there's where you do the filing and sweep up and make sure you would avoid, avoid the admin manager at all times because uh, do not be on your uh, on your own in a room with him because he has wandering hands, which I think was a standard, unfortunately, for the for, for majority oh, of women you know, in corporate at that time. I just had to come back because I was howling. <laughs> The admin manager. Oh, oh. Yeah, the admin manager. He was always a creepy, you know, fifty-something-year-old white man with BO. Who you just—it was just the given. He just was part of the instructions. You know, this is what no. you do, and make sure you. Caroline, no in racism. No racism on this podcast. No racism <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> that was my experience. I can just tell you. <laughs> Anyway, it was. I think it was just the standard sort of acceptance of that was how it was. But that wasn't my worst job. My worst job, actually, in the bank, which I quit in that department, was when I was running um, a big centre in Liverpool um, about 16 years ago. And it was a call. I was responsible. So I had about 200 staff um and you know big big budget you know millions of pounds worth of budgetary responsibility um i had for example the responsibility for all of the ices in the whole of country balances so there was millions and millions of pounds churning through and it was also a call center um and very very fast-paced operation and i had about three departments three or four departments i was responsible for and it was just in the aftermath of um, the, the Fred Goodwin scandal and Royal Bank of Scotland, who owned NatWest, had obviously been bailed out by the taxpayer. So we were under permanent threat of redundancy. The staff were being treated appallingly, which I don't like. I, I very much am a people person. I'm very caring. So I, I don't like to be, uh, you know, sacking people all the time, which is effectively what my job became. Even though I was myself, we were all under issued with uh, three month rolling redundancy uh, under notice of redundancy while being expected to work your ass off. And at the same time, customers calling in, calling people greedy bankers and you've collapsed the system and it's your fault and abusing the staff and staff were leaving because they were being treated so badly. And, and it was just awful, awful, toxic environment. Um, so that was my worst time, I would say. Do you know, it, it, it just just listening to what you've just said you see people don't realize do they that there's a personal cost to everything you be, being whipped up by the media that it's the bankers who caused you know that recession it, people don't stop and think that actually not everyone who works in a bank 
is guilty. And, you know, for people to actually then direct their hate at, you know, individuals who are working there, it, it's just so sad. Yeah, it was, it was very sad because the frontline staff, many of whom were on minimum wage in a call centre, um, you know, working all shifts. And, you know, these people were re very much on minimum wage type of jobs. And the abuse they were getting was was really distressing. Well, I can just imagine. Oh, that is just awful. But your third question leads us on to a much more positive note. And I would like you to kind of like say how each of those, the best and the worst, compares to what you're doing now. And that is, I promise you, the last of your, I didn't tell you about these, but I'm landing them. Do you know, that's what gives me so much pleasure during these guest series. It's just <laughs> <laughs> surprising people. Do you know what, Caroline, every single person that I've I've had on this, they've been like honest and genuine people. So, yeah. you know, the answer is not something that is not there. It, it's just a question of, you know, just talking about something that's happened. So, you know, thank you for sharing. But how does each of those compare to what you're doing now? Oh, such great questions. Um well i'm going to go with the downside first of all so the downside is obviously loss of <clears throat> salary and pension and healthcare and um and also some of the corporate structure as well um so things that you completely take for granted when you work for a huge organization like having intelligent colleagues around you who you can bounce off having the structure of things like business planning performance reviews, um, constantly, you know, daily looking at targets and, you know, are they being achieved or not, what adjustments you might need to make, customer service, continuous improvement, you know, I could go on and on. Um, you, you know, you take those things for granted when you are in a corporate environment and they actually become a pain in the ass because you're like, I don't want to go to another meeting to discuss my performance. I'd rather just get on with my job, you know, or I don't want to be constantly mithered by colleagues. I just want to make my own decisions or I don't want to sit in another strategy meeting where it will take forever for all of the stakeholders by the time we've thrashed out finance, legal, risk, sales, you know, the, the, the list goes on. And it, and it takes 20 years to make a decision because it's got to go through many through so many levels of organization so you know that was that was the, the they were some of the best and the worst things so i would say that the relief of going self-employed the downside was oh my god i'm not I, i've been paid as every on the 18th of every month for 25 years and now I'm not, and I'm completely on my own. And of course, the big, big point, you know, for there with anybody who is in a job at the moment and looking to get out of it and get into property would be, for goodness sake, get your mortgages whilst you've still got a salary, because it becomes very much more difficult to acquire finance when you're no longer employed. So uh, that would be my top tip to anybody um, who was thinking about doing it, although that needs a further discussion on someone's own risk profile. But um, I would say that the, the things I, the, the biggest thing that I love is being able to do what the hell I want. <laughs> I do not like being told what to do. I don't like being boxed in. I'm very creative and very ambitious. And if I decide to do something, it's happening and I'm doing it, you know? So the fact that I can just do it 
and I don't have to ask anybody's permission and I don't have to go and sit in endless meetings while people go, oh, yes, but what if is is the biggest high and just to be autonomous. But the, the, but, but the downside was that lack of structure. So what I've done about that after I kind of, you know, you keep growing all the time, was start to do things like this, you know, to, to reach out. I worked, it's a real lovely thing to work on your own for the first, I don't know, three, four, five years. And then after that, you realise that you're not getting the creative input. Nobody's challenging you. It gets quite exhausting doing everything on your own. And it's really helpful, you know, to have somebody like you, Patricia, or other people who are doing something similar to go, well, why don't you do it this way? What, you know, what are you doing that for? How about this? And you think, I didn't even know that was an option and never would have thought of it. So what I've done to overcome those corporate gaps is to is to actually choose my colleagues in inverted commas you know people like yourself people who have met on local business clubs the chamber of commerce and and in other property groups and have started to attend networking meetings not because i want anything out of anybody but i just enjoy this you know chewing the fat adding value to other people you know help other people in property that was something else i liked doing i liked developing staff because i was quite a senior manager and i like developing people i've got no one to develop except myself so um you know i like helping other people and bringing them on and, and adding value so I'm, I'm sort of trying to plug the gap if you like through through those kinds of uh, these kinds of uh, forums which you know w once you start looking are, are everywhere and are fantastic most of them Oh, yes, definitely. Do you know, everything that you said just completely resonated with me. The one thing that I remember being shocked about when I first went self-employed was my um, my copier running out of paper. <laughs> and you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to fix the printer. <laughs> oh, There's nobody to do it. <laughs> it was, I, it, it was, honestly, I was quite shocked that day. And I thought, do you know, I've taken this for granted that I press print and it prints. Yeah. And I don't have to think about, you know, paper running out or or putting, you know, paper in the copier. And I thought, ooh, okay, I am now self-employed. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's my printer's exploded upstairs last week and there's, there's print all over the place and I haven't got a bloody clue how to fix it so now I've got no printer and I don't know who to oh, call. <laughs> what? You've got ink all over the place. Yeah, oh, I, I don't know how to fix the printer so I haven't got the printer so you're just making me smile because when you work, work for somebody else, there's somebody that generally does that for you, you know, so yeah. <laughs> Oh dear, well, I hope you sort your printer out um, fairly soon. Oh gosh, you, I, you, you, you can't do without a printer. You need a printer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so Caroline, now you, you love co-living. So tell me, tell me why you've chosen that vis-a-vis, -vis, as you say, you know, the traditional uh, HMO route. <laughs> this is yeah so i i am passionate about it so i'll start off by saying that the many of the houses which i now have as co-living properties for 20 years were standard hmos and i ran them as standard hmos um mainly because i didn't know any different and i was working you know quite a demanding corporate job 
and three children and these properties were just I didn't think of myself as a property person I've said this to you before Patricia you know it didn't occur to me that I had any value if you like in that space they literally were investments for me you know when they were absolutely fine they were middle of the road beige carpets magnolia walls furnished perfectly okay looked after and maintained middle of the road brought me some income in on the side and and that uh, uh, you know and that that was that um and then when i left the bank I, I had the opportunity to take voluntary redundancy a few years ago and had a sum of money that i would never have otherwise have had and i decided to go into property full time and i just carried on buying more hmos and doing hmos for a couple of years and then the tenant quality was average and within that average I had some idiots and I didn't like going into the houses and I didn't have a purpose so I had an income because obviously I needed to replace my bank salary and also in the meantime I be, I was with the same man in this, and in the same company for 25 years and I left both within 12 months so I, I got I went through a very painful divorce a few years ago and obviously went from having, you know, again, been, been married to the same man and in the same company 25 years to going self-employed in property. So not only did I need to replace my salary, I needed to replace all my savings and half my pension that I'd lost and support myself and three children. You know, and that that was really quite tough. Um, and, and I was doing, so I was doing HMOs initially, carrying on and expanding, buy more just to just to get back on my feet financially having come from being in a very comfortable place that I'd built up for, you know over a long time to going wham rugs pulled out under my feet lost everything not lost everything but certainly you know lost a lot and I just couldn't find any heart and soul in it and I'm a person I'm a very passionate person I'm quite creative and I, I like to do I've got a lot of energy to give and it was just I couldn't it was bringing me in the money and it was paying the bills, but I didn't enjoy going to the houses. I managed them all myself, Esther, where I live and where I'm from in Cheshire. Uh, I didn't especially like the tenants and, you know, the business side of me thinks, well, you don't have to like your tenants as long as they pay the rent and they're not trashing the place, then that's a bonus, right? I couldn't find any love in it. I couldn't find any purpose in it. And so I started looking for another job. And then I thought, well, no, that's not the answer because that's not paying me as much as property will. So and I had a really bad experience where in lock, uh, lockdown, um, and prior to lockdown actually, sorry, when I had a, a, a bad person in the house who moved a whole load of druggies in and I had to throw uh, eight hairy ass druggies out of the house by myself because the police wouldn't come. And at this point, and the house was trashed. And at this point, I just thought, you know what? I could have got battered. He left behind two baseball bats and a gun under his bed. And I thought, I'm not doing dealing with Oh, no. I'm a not gun. doing yeah, well, it turned out it was an air pistol, but I didn't know that it looked like a gun to me. <laughs> I was just like, and I had to th literally throw those people out myself. And I just thought, I'm, I, this is just not for me. I just, you know, it's just not worth it. It's it's draining my soul doing this. Um, and, and obviously that wasn't all of the tenants at all. 90% of them were fine, but that 10%, because the, the houses that I had were, average they were absolutely fine they were certainly not dumps but they were just run of the mail there was nothing differentiating them and so personally I, I, I that wasn't doing it for me and also financially I was in competition with all of the rest of the middle of the market and so I took a massive step back and thought right what do I want to do do I want to just leave the properties that I've got and then go and find 
you know, uh, uh, another income, another job where I can enjoy it and put my heart and soul into it. And that's just a financial income in the background. Or what do I do? And then I'd started noticing that I was getting a lot of graduates coming to me. Uh, one of my tenants was a manager of a, a well-known student um national student provider where they basically do posh purpose-built student accommodation and he said to me Caroline the amount of people leaving university and they're all kind of cosseted and handheld particularly in these nice accommodations that he was operations manager for and, and then they're going out and the general marketplace certainly in Chester where I live you know which is a, a quite a nice affluent historic town a bit like Oxford or Bath or one of those sorts of places um, he said, there's just nothing. And he said, and yours are the best on the market. Um, and, I, and it just really set me thinking. And equally, I was getting quite a few, you know, really nice. I'd become a lot more picky on my tenants. And I decided to, and they were, they were coming to me saying, telling me horror stories of, oh, you know, I'm really nervous because I've lived in this house and the landlord was atrocious and I've lived in that house and the housemates were awful and doors banging at all night. And, I, you know, I'm lonely and I don't know anybody. And I just thought there's a massive opportunity here. And I, and I, I also have a 21 year old son who, because I had him very prematurely, he has cerebral palsy and learning difficulties. And so he's, he's fine, he's done really well. But I'm thinking about where is he going to live, you know, because he needs some people around him. But thankfully, he's not severe enough to need, you know, a specialist accommodation. And, and, and all of these things came, came into, into play. And I started realising that there's this huge market for co-living. I don't really like the phrase co-living because I feel a bit it's a bit bandwagony. I think it's kind of like the in thing at the moment. And if somebody just puts a few pieces of art on a, on a living room in somewhere and says it's co-living, it's not, you know, I, and I, I feel really passionately about this and I have to watch myself because I could really get on one about it. And I may, and I might still do. Honestly, so please do, 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 so Caroline. Last, just... last, last, so I, I can give you many examples, but is uh, is my signal okay? It's coming up weak signal. Can I you can hear, hear me you okay? clearly. Fine. Uh, I just keep getting a red banner going across saying poor signal. So I'm just going to give you one off the top of my head from last week. So I have this. So now I only specialise in uh, young professionals. I I always did young professionals, but there's, there's there's young professionals and there's young professionals. I have to practically want to adopt someone now before I let them in my house. And I have a wait list till July and I have people paying me rents, which are just ridiculously high compared to anything on the market to the point that the surveyor said, I can't value your property because it just is so far off the scale in terms of income compared to norms that for mortgage purposes, I can't, you know, there's not enough data to stack to compare it to, which is can be a limitation to watch out for actually in terms of getting all your cash back out if you need to. So that's, that's a, you know, it, that's fine for me, but for somebody else who needs every penny out, they, they might struggle with that. Um, but if I just give you an example of co-living, so uh, last last weekend, I, I I moved in this this lovely young man called Ben. He's 23. He's just finished a master's in renewable energy. He's moving from 300 miles away in Scotland. He doesn't know anybody at all. Uh, he said, I don't know anyone within a 100 mile radius. And he wants to 
come and live in a, in a nice house and start his new job. So he's moving to Chester for work um, and he doesn't know anybody. So this is absolutely typical of my business. I've got 50 of these people and I would happily have any of them around to my house. Um, and that's a very far cry from where I've been in the past, I can tell you. And um, he, he spoke, to, you know, he spoke to me and he said, oh, I'm, you know, I, I was like, it's absolutely fine. He doesn't know the house exists. You know, he's, he's, he's literally viewed it on spare room and off a quick chat with me and he's taken the room. And when he moved in, I can see the relief of, you know, when that I'm actually there, I exist, the house exists. It's what he thinks because um, rental, it, spare room fraud is an actual thing, same as Airbnb fraud, but you know, that's, a, that's for another, another day. When he moved in, I have made the ha made sure the house is lovely. So when girls move in, I light some candles in the room. I um, take some flowers. You know, I don't go over the top with this stuff. I take them out again, by the way, because it's just for first impressions to be welcoming when they come in. And I say, you know, those are mine. I've just put it in to look nice for you. And, um, and they love it. And when he arrived, I'd already teed up uh, another guy called James in the house who I, I look at everybody and basically housemate Tinder, Patricia. I, I kind of think I should do housemate <laughs> Tinder trademark this, although I might get sued by actual Tinder. Um, but that's basically what I do. I found, I found I've got a really extraordinary talent for putting groups of people together in HMOs where I know they'll get on and I don't credit check any of my tenants. And this will be like shock horror. I literally look at them and think, I know if they're gonna pay or not, and I know if they're gonna work in the house or not. And that's just experience. But for co-living, that will you get on with other people in the house is really, really important. I was joking with my boyfriend that I have an extraordinary talent for pulling 23-year-old females. <laughs> but, you know, he moved in and I'd already teed up somebody else to, to, to you know, to, that he was moving in. And one of the existing tenants came out and he was like, oh, you're all right, mate. You know, welcome. I'm James. Uh, do you want a hand in with your stuff, you know, with your cases? And and then somebody else came out and said, "Oh, you know, if you if you travelled far, I'll I'll put the I'll put the the kettle on for you, tea or coffee." And I'm just standing there with this like almost maternal smile on my face, thinking, "Yes, I just love it because I can just see my tenant, my new tenant's his the relief on his face. He's had a long drive. He has no idea what he's coming to. He's starting a new job the following day, and even though he's a fully fledged grown up, you know, he's still got that." want for security and something fantastic and he's like he absolutely loves the house but it's the vibe that I create and then I ca I kind of like made myself scarce and he came out and he was unloading his car and I said you know are you okay is it what you hoped it would be you know not is it true to the pictures is it what you hoped it would be and he said they've already said that they're going to take me out for a beer tonight to show me the local pubs and just like help me get settled in. He said, Caroline, thank you so much. He said, I feel a bit embarrassed saying this because I'm a bloke. He said, but I've been really nervous and my mum was worried. And um, he said, I just feel so happy. I, can, I just know I'm going to be happy here. So thank you. He said, thank you so much. No one else in the market is doing what you do. And that's, that is probably just a current example. I'm so passionate. I leave there not only have I got a market busting rent on that room, incidentally, as well, but I am so happy. That literally makes my day. And I have helped people overcome previous bad experiences in house, shared houses, which is many. 
of all sorts. You know, I, I operate an anti-loneliness strategy through all my houses and a positive mental health. I don't write that down because it sounds really naff, but I genuinely do. I've got, I took 40 of my tenants out and paid for them all, paid a thousand pounds before Christmas to take them all out to a local cocktail bar and have cocktail masterclass before Christmas because they all live near, near to each other and they can make new friends. So I'm like housemate Tinder, and then they did, and they did. Three of them got on so well together, they've moved out and got their own place. But apart from that, it was great. And and they're just like, no, who does that? Which landlord does that? And I I do that because it actually gives me joy, and the money that people are paying for it is also it's sky high as well. Wow, do you know? So what I'm reading or what I'm hearing from what you've said there is that it's your maternal instinct you know taking these young professionals usually just coming out of uni and giving them a safe haven Death. somewhere where they can just be themselves and you are there looking out for them that is amazing is it it's one of the reasons why i read people who are passionate about what they do do things the way you do them yes the money is great but it's not just about the money, is it? And and it sounds like you've created an absolute niche in, in, in Chester. And do you know what? One of these days, I am going to drive up and have a look. <laughs> oh, God, I'd love you. I'd love you to come. And, and the thing is, I can't understand why most people aren't, more people aren't doing this. Because if you look at the market generally, right, you've got student accommodation is obviously a very well-established thing. You've got big corporate players in that market, um, you know, who built, build ever more impressive student accommodation with gyms and en-suites and social spaces and ping pong and all of that kind of stuff. And they do it for old people as well. You know, if you look at old people's homes now, they're all about community activities and have your own space when you want it, but there's an instant community there for you to make friends. Isolation and, and loneliness and mental health is a massive thing. And for graduates and that, you know, I take 22 to 29 year olds and, and I again, I have to like them. I mean, that, I'm fortunate at the moment that the market is so, so buoyant, I can pick and choose if I don't like somebody I don't think they're right for the house they're not coming in it's simple as that but I've worked very hard and really really listened to my customers to do that I, I could have another 10 houses now and I could fill them um I, you know and I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> it's not very scalable though that's the only thing you know I'm looking at how I could scale it but it has to be you have to care you have to care about what you're doing I think you know and I do care I mean don't get me wrong I'm not there once they've moved in and they're settled that's it. I'll leave them to it. But they, but that first impression that people get, I want people when they move in to think I have, you know, when, when they're talking to their family, their friends, and they go, oh, how's your new place? They go, oh my God, I absolutely love it. My landlord's fantastic. I feel safe. I'm happy. And I've got a whole bunch of new mates. I could go into my room when I want. It's not party house. I make that absolutely clear. The house is immaculate. And I'm really, really proud to put it my house on Instagram and show off where I live. And that and that happens, it happens all the time. Amazing. But now Caroline, so I know that uh, you, there are some, some, some roads, some streets where you have more than one. Can you just give us like a price history 
of say like on one of those roads like how much the first one cost how much the next one cost and so on and so forth just to give people an idea of how the market has actually moved in the meantime and again if you can if you've got the figures to hand if you don't you know, not a problem but if you if you can also tell us how much it costs you to actually do them up to the standard that you do 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 you do you have them all on suite or not or you know whatever um if you can just tell us that will again will be great or if you've got a case study that you you're happy to run through with us that will be again absolutely amazing yeah sure i i have all of the above <laughs> um <laughs> great stuff so so you know, I'm going to kind of just start by talking about the, uh, you know, the north, if you like, because obviously I know yours is in Croydon, uh, Croydon, Patricia, that's right, yeah. isn't it, I think. Um, and, you know, our, you know, we have a, a north-south divide, I know, potentially. So I'm located in Chester in Cheshire, which is half an hour from Liverpool and 40 minutes, half an hour south of Liverpool and, and 40 minutes south of Manchester and, 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 and then half an hour into North Wales. So that, that, that's kind of geographically, you know, where, where, where I am. Um, and like any, anywhere, you've got areas which are really cheap and you've got areas which are not. Chester's quite an affluent city um in the north it's it's nice and you can buy a three so if we just take a three bedroom one bathroom traditional terraced house with a bay window at the front and two above you know we've, we've probably all seen those for hmos so i've got several of those and yeah i've got seven houses in the same two streets because they're near the train station they're on uh the good side of town they are close to shops and bars and you can walk into the city centre in 10 minutes and it has parking. So um, I um, I buy there. And in fact, I used to live in one of those houses when I was that age myself as well. So um, looks a lot better now than when I lived in it, I can tell you. <laughs> um, and you can buy one of those houses at the moment in a, you know, a not done up state for somewhere between 250 and 325,000 depending on the condition and you know what have you so uh, minimum 250 you know 325 so, something around that kind of ilk um and i've just bought two houses in the last 12 months to add to the portfolio and i'll give you the numbers on both of them um I spend, in answer to your question, I I spend amounts which most landlords and builders I work with think are insane. Um, and just like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? But if you look at the pictures of what I've produced, they, you know, I, I would hope that people would say, yes, okay, you can see, you can, you can see that. Um, so I bought a house. Um, 12 months ago for 250,000 because it was in a really terrible state and it was um it has some structural issues as well so the owner couldn't sell it because nobody could get the mortgage on it um because it wasn't passive it was failing at valuation every time and I'm quite well connected in in the local area so I knew about this because the valuer had already phoned me for a comparable on my properties which he does from time to time and i usually eke a little bit of information out of him whilst he's at it um so i basically bought this property for two hundred and fifty thousand. um 
put the, put the damp course in, knocked some walls out, reconfigured it a little bit. So this particular one is my smallest HMO by room number. The actual house is a three-storey, beautiful. It's beautiful now I've restored it. Uh, Victorian terraced house, you know, they're so good. I'm, I'm a massive fan of loft conversions. I put loft conversions into nearly everything I buy because they are the single best return on investment that I've ever found. Um, so I spent on this particular property, this already had a loft conversion. It was just not not done very well, but I didn't have the, the outlay of that. So most of this, I spent £90,000 on it. And most of that, not all of it, was was what you might call cosmetic. You know, that's a lot of money and you don't have to spend that much. I will just say that right now. You don't have to spend £90,000 because I've just chosen to do this because nearly every house on this street is an HMO. And there's a lot of competition, as there is in any town. Um, and I really want to differentiate the houses, partly because I'm following a zero void strategy. About three years ago, I, I was running at about 93, 92, 93% occupancy. I thought that was all right. And then I figured out that that differential between leaving just a couple of weeks between here and there on tenants had actually cost me £30,000. £30,000! I was absolutely horrified. So I thought, no, Bob, sod that. I'm not having that. I'm going to operate. I'm going to really pursue a zero voids policy, which in simple terms obviously means somebody moving out in the morning and somebody else moving in in the afternoon. Um, and, 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 and that's actually working ridiculously well for me, aided by the fact that the, the market has exploded in that time. Um, I want my properties to be the, 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 the cream of the crop, but also because, I, as I said, I've had a lot of very negative experience with tenants in the past. I've been threatened. I had the druggies. I've had arrears. I've had horrible people. I've had people telling me they're going to turn up at my house when I'm there with my kids. I do not want to operate in that market anymore. I've reached a stage in my life where I'm done with all of that that stuff and so partly the reason i spend what i do is so i can pick and choose tenants because i as i said I, I have joy now in speaking to my tenants which i don't do hardly ever because guess what the better the tenant the less they, they you know they just deal with stuff they don't pester you all the time they always pay the rent and i uh, the maintenance of them is, is is very much less and plus when i walk in that house i have pride and i have purpose so you know that particular house again that was everything that was five bedrooms two two bathrooms this particular house is not an ensuite one um i am worried about the valuation office thing which patricia i know you know we've obviously talked about on other clubhouses so this one i had been going down the all ensuite route but this house i haven't i was worried about it and i'm getting 700 pounds of room for there now this is a northern town and 700 pound a room is not the norm in the area it's probably more like 500 uh, i'm not getting that for all of the rooms but the minimum i'm getting per room is 600 so i spent 350,000 pounds on the house by the time you've got stamp duty and bought it the rent i'm getting is five rooms is 3200 which is 42,280 pounds a year and i'm making cash flow on that of about 1700 a month so that's one case study there. Wow. So, um, Caroline, th these are fascinating figures. And I know, because um, again, you know, because we've spoken about this before, um, 
we are so similar. It's a bit, well, <laughs> if somebody's not looking at our pictures, <laughs> we are very, very similar. But um, so with the rents that you are able to get, so this £700 a month room, how big is it in terms of size? Huge. You know, square feet, square <laughs> meter, huge, right. <laughs> yeah. Is it a one-person room or two-people room? No, I only do one-person rooms, and this is to do with the co-living. I could rent that at more money. See, we've got so many angles, Patricia. We could take so many angles. I could rent that room. It's huge, and normally I would put an ensuite in it. Um, I, I, I won't go down the reason why I didn't. There was there was more of a reason, but I won't. Uh, you, you basically need a, to, to get a, part, a permit from the council to dig the road up to put drains out of the front. And it was going to take me the delays it would have taken me messing around trying to get permission from the council to dig up the road in order to put uh, sewage you know, into, for, for en suites at the front of the house was just not worth it. It wasn't worth the aggravation, the uplift, the VOA risk and the time it would have delayed my project, but it's miles big enough you could put huge ensuite in there. So I, when I'm saying huge, I'm going to say off the top of my head about 22 square metres. So it has a sofa, it has a That's six... definitely uh, huge. It has a six... Yeah, so in other houses, because I've got four houses on that particular street, some of them have just chopped the room in two and done it that way. Um, because that's also pretty easy to do as well. I'm very happy to, to take walls out, take chimneys out, and, you know, just do all sorts of things like that. Um, but in this particular case, um, the, 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 there are some structural issues with the house as well, so I didn't want to knock it around as quite as much as I have done with the other ones. And also I was doing opening a cottage and renovating a cottage in a chapel at the same time, and the builders were going to have a heart attack if I asked them to do it. <laughs> I was spinning three or four projects at the same time and I was like right this just needs to be this particular one I just need to make it gorgeous and get it turned around let out and move the lads on to the next job um I employ my own builders most of the time because uh, I've been ripped off in the past by unscrupulous ones so uh, I have some trust issues around builders so I just employ a few permanently that I, I trust um but that, so that room's about 22 square metres. It has a sofa, it has a six foot bed. It has a huge wardrobe, which I put in all my rooms. I don't do the ones, like there's lots of gorgeous rooms on Instagram, which look fantastic. You couldn't live in them comfortably, in my opinion. There's no storage space, you know? It's, it, I'm a bit skeptical about a lot of the rooms which look, have fantastic click clickbait factor and I'm sure they sell very quickly but I would be surprised if the tenants stay very long because the rooms look fantastic because they're very minimalist well that's lovely on a photo it's not lovely when you've got your life's belongings in there so I put in like really big wardrobes I put in a very big desk for working from home I put lots of storage in I pay attention to details like uh storage under the bed and i just make it i make it it looks like a hotel room it's beautiful um and the guy that took it he walked in he was six foot five rugby player lovely lovely young man and he walked in and he went instantly walked in and went oh, i'll take it most of the rooms i'm looking at i feel like i'd be squashed into a tin can because he's such a big guy um and that was 700 for a non-ensuite room so yeah but but equally i've got others which are normal sized rooms like 10, 11 square metres, and they're still 600 without an ensuite. So, 
Do you know, those figures are just, they are, oh, they're so mouth-watering. Caroline, well done you. Not bad for up north, is it? <laughs> very good. <laughs> very, very good. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to, to highlight again, because I know that, you know, we've spoken about this in the past and, and we both said, yes, you do it. Yes, I do it as well, is the soundproofing. Yes, I've done that. Is, isn't it just so important, especially when you've got an HMO? Because the last thing that, you know, your tenants want is to be in their rooms and be able to hear the guy next door brushing his teeth or, um, you know, whatever it is that the guy next door might be doing. Uh, abs, abs, yeah, and that would, be, <laughs> that would be one of the better things you might hear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So part of the reason, you know, again, spending £90,000 on the property is... A considerable amount of money um and again i would flag i i'm i'm in a position where i can leave some of that money in um in it, it doesn't matter to me that i need to get everything you like to get you know squeeze every penny out of a revaluation to pull all my money out and incidentally on that note i'm really not a fan of this whole no money down don't leave any money in because the other the, the flip side I could start ranting about because it's all over the place and it worries me for new investors it worry you know the the don't leave any money in is all very well but the flip side to that and as the ex-bank bank manager that I am I would say that also means you're leveraged up to the eyeballs and interest rates are going to go up and the bubble might burst and you know you you don't have much you know you you it can affect your lending if you're leveraged up to the eyeballs for stress testing and all sorts of stuff. So I'm not actually a fan, where possible, of squeeze, you know, refinancing every single penny out of a property. Again, but that's the, that's the cautious banker in me. Um, but coming back to soundproofing, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I spent £90,000 on it, because I want my tenants to stay. I do not want to be turning tenants over every, you know, every few months because they've got no privacy if they've realized they can't fit all the stuff in the room you know i want them to stay because i want them to say this is my home and it has all of the home comforts that we need and i've got quite a few i've got about six tenants who've been who moved in when they're 23 and they're still here at 30 because they just got they just said i've just got everything here i need <laughs> and and they stay so and and what made me particularly happy about this house is my son works in the local cocktail bar and he saw all five of them out together in the cocktail bar at the weekend um bear in mind they'd only all moved in in january because that was the, the a new a new house that i'd recently done and they were all out together celebrating someone's new job and that just makes me really happy that's what co-living is they've chosen to all go and hang out together at the weekend and that just makes my heart sing do you know excellent because you 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 literally just hit the nail on the head co-living is not about putting you know uh, uh, two pictures up in a living room and um and um having like you know beautiful pictures that you post on instagram it's all about facilitating i believe a conducive and you know very happy environment for the people who are going to be living there. So again, I have to say, well done you. But you are definitely that cautious banker. Um, it, it, it reminds me of my banker when I decided that I wanted to scale. I went to, um, in fact, he came to see me actually. Um, I, I can still picture that, you know, the meeting that we had. And he said, oh, Patricia, I don't think you should. 
I honestly, I really don't think you should. Um, and whilst he was been like, yeah, crack on, love. <laughs> whilst he was saying that, my husband was also saying to me, oh, no, I really don't think you should. And so there were two people. And I, I really respect my husband because he, you know, financially, he's our financial person. I'm not a figures person at all. I hate anything to do with figures. But, you know, funnily, I always say that. But when I'm looking at property, I can see exactly what's in there. Mm. Like, you know, the bit at the end. I think property values, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) That bit I can do. But generally, when it comes to finance, it bores me to death. So anyway, my husband does that. And so when he was saying, oh, I don't think you should do that, I'm thinking, ooh. Because my my default is, do you know what? If I'm happy with it, I'm just going to go for it. I'm I'm going to go for it. And I am mainly that because I tend to know my own mind. But on this occasion, I thought... Ooh, husband who knows about figures is saying don't do it. Bank manager whose job it is to, you know, advise me on my finances is saying don't do it. Perhaps I ought not. So I, I, I so I scaled back because um, I had like I had these grand plans at the time, and and I thought okay, fine, let me not go as far as I'm planning to go. Um, but, you know, I've looked back at that and I thought, oh, gosh, they're just both overcautious. Anyway, um, so that was really funny when you said cautious bank manager. I'm thinking, yes, yes, I knew one. I knew, yeah, I knew one well, like it's that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because cautious or risky is so, so subjective. You know, my friends think that I, you know, they're like, oh, we couldn't be a crazy risk taker like you. I don't consider myself to be a crazy risk taker at all. Um, I, you know, I consider myself to be quite cautious because of my age and my my background i suppose and yet i'm very happy to go yeah we'll buy that yeah we'll buy that yes we'll take that yes i'll help you know because it's just confidence i suppose really and vision you know it's not and not being scared of of numbers you know this this house i've just taken on is cash flowing me 1700 pounds a month you know and and obviously we've got quite a few of those and not thinking not, not being too scared about you're just thinking, well, does it make a profit? I'm, again, ones I see in, in some of the magazines and stuff where people talk about return on investment, this is another quite controversial, potentially. Return on investment is, to me, is that's it's fine, it's important, but I read case studies in property magazines and things where people are saying, oh, yeah, we're making a, an 18% return on investment, and you think, oh, that's great. And then you look at the numbers, and you're like, that's £250 a month. I wouldn't even bother you know i wouldn't i wouldn't entertain it i wouldn't look at anything that made me less than a thousand pounds a month and the return on investment is important to a degree but that's all to do with the cost of money and interest rates and already that return on investment is going to change dependent on the market shifting for me it would be more about how much actual pound notes is that going to put in my my bank account each month from a financial point of view and the return on investment is important but it is not it has to to me there's no point having a fantastic return on investment if it's like three two three four hundred pounds a month that's my personal position that's why i do hma is not family family lets do you know caroline you've got you've got a point there but you know for some of us i i guess who who buy in london Mm. we have well well actually let me talk about me um, when I buy, in the main, honestly, my mindset is usually, 
how much value can I add with yeah. the shortest period of time? And then, because then that just opens up another avenue to me. Um, it may be that I, I, I'd want to sell it. It may be that I'd want to do, you know, refinance it or, you know, whatever. And the rent in itself, very, very good, but it's never, ever my kind of like, you know, my first priority. It's never a priority, actually. Obviously, I'm not going to buy anything that's going to be loss making, never, ever. But you know, in terms of like my single lets, um, you know, 400 pounds is actually not bad a month, especially if, like, you know, if you've been able to add, you know, a six figure or close to a six figure, you know, uplift on maybe, you know, a, a 300,000 pound purchase. Um, so I guess it's slightly different, but yeah, you're absolutely right about return on investment. Yeah, but it's fascinating because this is why these conversations add so much value because, you know, you and I could go out together uh, or, or, you know, anybody, anybody on this call could go out together and look at a potential property and we would all see different things and we would all come from a different perspective. And that's exactly why, you know, your guest series and that you're doing, I think, had so much value because you would look at it in a completely different way to me and I might be challenging you and going well yeah but it's only going to generate this what's the point and you're going yes but it's going to add a six-figure uplift on because I was coming through at it through an income lens and you're coming at it through a capital lens and both are really 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 important and it just depends on the investor's strategy and capability at that time as to which would be the right decision for them but actually that's why doing sharing these experiences is so important because it is ultimately what is right for one person as a strategy will not be right for another person, even if it's the same house. Fascinating. It is, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. But, you know, to the point that you made about, you know, some of these case studies, I listened to a lady once who was building. So she was building like, you know, houses, you know, from the ground up. And I think, if I remember correctly, she was building building about ten houses, um, and I think her total spend was like two point five million or something. Mm. And the profit that she was so this was all I think she'd started. She hadn't finished, so she hadn't sold anything, but her projected profits were two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. And I, honestly, I was aghast because I thought £250,000 for all of the money that you're risking, for all the other risks involved in new builds, £250,000. What? Profit or income, Patricia? Profit. Oh, that could get very quickly eaten away, couldn't it? Well, the thing is, I just even thought I wouldn't even bother. 250 you're spending 2.5 and you're only going to get 250 and, you know, like you say, any of the risks that are there could wipe out that profit just you know, overnight. And uh, apart from that, for me, it just wasn't worth the hassle. Because, you know, if you do a flat and you can get, you know, you can get like 70, 80, 90,000, 100,000 within, within weeks, do two of those. You've got your 250. But Why this... are you going to go and build 10 houses to get 250? I, 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 I sat there thinking I must be missing something. And I looked at... 
Sorry, go on. So, sorry, Caroline. <laughs> you carry on, sorry. I think, and I looked at the figures and I kept looking at the figures and I thought, oh my gosh, she must be crazy. Anyway, that was that. But isn't that fascinating? Because there'll be so many people, even in the audience here today, thinking, are you having a laugh? 250,000, I'd die to, <laughs> I'd kill to make 250,000 pounds, you know? So this is where, isn't it? It's all very subjective and it's very personal as well um you know and for me just coming back to the income you know i would love to learn from you patricia because i have had to because i've lost because i at the age of 45 obviously i'd lost a, a 25 year career i hadn't lost it i left it but i lost the salary that went with it i lost half my bank pension which i'd worked my ass off for for 25 years and was an old-fashioned natwest bank gold gold-plated pension i lost half of that half of that went to my ex-husband i lost some land that i'd got planning permission on i lost properties you know in the divorce so and and i didn't have a salary anymore and obviously you know, it would come from having two salaries and, and my property business. So that was, and three kids to support by myself. That was a massive, massive crash for me. I took those decisions. I knew what it would be like, but I just, those decisions, I had to leave my marriage and I had to leave my, I didn't have to leave my career, but I knew it was not for me anymore. And I didn't want to be living permanently in, in, in London either. I'm not in a position to do that with my children. So my focus absolutely i was in a hole mentally financially for six months licking my wounds and then i thought well i can't stay in the hole and no one's going to come and rescue me so i'm going to have to get off my ass and i'm going to have to start all over again at the age of well probably like 46 47 at this point and so i i was like i've got to do this and then i thought well i'm not just going to scrape by i've worked all my life to get where i am no one's given it to me and i am not going to be suddenly saying to my kids oh we can't afford to take you on holiday anymore and everything so i decided that i was going to set myself a massive massive income target that was seemed ridiculously terrifying bearing in mind that having been a lender myself for years not many people wanted to lend to me because all of a sudden i've got no no salary you know so that was so i decided that i was going to do it and i was very focused on income because my priority was replacing my salary replacing and, and being able to give the lifestyle and to to, to be to provide security for my children so i had like a massive midlife change i think if i hadn't have done those things and i, ha I was still in my marriage for example and the bills were being paid you know through that i probably would be looking more at capital value and i need to start looking and want to start looking at capital value again shortly but our change our circumstances change through our life and what is fantastic about property if you know what you're doing even though there are risks involved you can choose to focus on income when you suddenly unexpectedly find yourself having to be having to be focused on income or you can focus on capital growth like you do so successfully or you can try a combination of the two this is why it's just so such a wonderful industry to be in when it goes right which you know it, caroline i honestly could not have put it any better it's all about the individual isn't it and it's about where they are yeah. at that point in time in their lives because again like you so eloquently put it what is right for a might not necessarily be the best thing for b and vice versa so it's all about, you know, people just knowing themselves and doing what is best for them as opposed to doing what is best for their friend or their neighbour or somebody that they envy or somebody that they love or even hate. 
beautiful all individuals. Oh, just, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Great, great. Do you know, Caroline, people have been messaging in the chat function of the room about how they've just loved listening to what you're saying. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and honestly, thank you so much. Um, you know, HMOs, like you say, they are amazing, aren't they, for income? They can and also be a bloody nightmare, as we all <laughs> I don't, you know, I do want to be careful not to paint a very glossy picture because they are not right for everybody and they can be awful if you get the wrong people. Any any property can be awful if you get the wrong tenants in there. Bad tenants, no. <laughs> do you know, you, do you know, you're absolutely right. But you know, one of the things um, that I do um, with my HMOs is there's a clause in the contract that says. I have the right to send their um, payment records to a um, credit reference agency. Now, like you, all of my tenants, um, you know, are aspirational. Mm. Invariably, they want to buy their own place. Mm. So that also keeps people on the straight and narrow um, because they don't want anything that's going to mess up you know, I've never sent, you know, their stuff to a credit reference agency, even, you know, when one particular lady and, you know, thank goodness she has now left, she was always late with her rent, always late. She always paid, but she was always late. And I just thought, you know, there, there, there's just no point in, you know, messing up somebody's life. And, and it wasn't that she was late because she couldn't afford to, it was late because she just, she couldn't be asked. If I didn't chase her, she didn't mm. seem to remember that she had to pay her rents. Mm. Um, so the day she left, I was so happy. I was just so pleased. Um, but, you know, you get the good and you get the bad. But, you know, with good management, HMOs can be really, really great. Because like you say, you know, four-figure cash flowing. So that's, you know, positive income, you know, net profits mm. um, or gross profits, let's say because um, then, you know, we still have to pay the tax and all of that. Oh, yeah. um, but it's still such a good thing, you know, for, you know, for people looking to replace their income, it probably is, you know, if, if somebody said to me, you know, I'm looking to leave my job and I need something that's going to, you know, help me replace my income really, really quickly. I've said, and I think I'll, I'll carry on saying, you know, for what it is and the amount of effort that you need to put into it, I'd go HMOs. I tend not to, for me, go SA so much um, because there are so many legal, uh, you know, things to do with SAs that lots of people don't, either they don't know about it or they don't care about them. Yeah. And um, so I kind of like think, mm. and I, I've spoken to people before and I've said, mm, I don't think you can actually do that. And, and I normally say that if, you know, I, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm giving somebody advice because we're not in that kind of relationship. And they go, oh, but so-and-so's doing it. <laughs> well, that makes it all okay then. <laughs> and I just think, okay, we need to end this call as soon as possible and we're not going to have another one. Um, but, it, you know, it, there's just so much there. And it's all about the risk. Because again, like you... I, I consider myself to be very risk averse. So the things that I do tend to be like 
double and triple plated because I, I've been through probably like you, Caroline, um, a number of recessions yeah. and um, you have to live through one to actually appreciate the number of things that can go wrong. And that is why, you know, we try and make sure that even if we were to have another one, we'll sail through it. Again, you know, during COVID, there were so many people, you know, saying, um, you know, during the lockdowns, oh, I, 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 you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive this because they'd gone to their banks and they'd asked for payment holidays and all of that. But a good business, you know, if we run a good business, that shouldn't have happened. There should have been no need for any of that. Um, and, and I worry about people in this whole no money down courses everywhere falling foul of that. It's all very well when the sun's shining, but <laughs> if the ships start going down, those people are quite vulnerable potentially. Absolutely true. But again, you see, whilst I don't advocate that, because in any event, you know, the banks always want you to have skin in the game. Um, yeah. So maybe... And I think also in any event, you know, the times of no money, no money down in that you put your money in, you do the works and you get your money back out. I think those those days are gone. You know, you can you can definitely get some money out. But, you know, the way that things are working at the moment, some money is going to stick in the project, especially if like you and you know like I do as well, you want to do something up to a high standard because like I say, you want to triple plate, you know, your position. So you so even though you might be going for capital, you also want to make sure that you're maximizing, you know, that property. You're getting the most income that you can out of it. You're going to be spending money to get to that stage, to, to you know, to carve yourself, you know, the kind of niche that you have carved in in um in Chester which it just sounds great honestly Caroline. oh but i wanted to ask you something i've remembered i remembered i remembered so when you bought this two hundred and fifty thousand pounds structurally you know defective property yeah how did you finance it um i financed it off another property so again this is where you know it's really i i really feel for newbies getting into it right now because it, it, it you know it, it, it is quite difficult and you asked me right at the beginning you know what did i pay for some of my first properties and it was only you know 50 60 000 pounds but that was 23 years ago those are worth 300 now and so i was able to um finance i was able to to leverage some of the basic mortgage um some of the money out of my other properties in order to finance this one and then when it's all done and, and whatever, then I will, it's actually on my to-do list to do, to refinance that. Now it's all done and it's, you know, I've had, I've made it structurally sound and all of that stuff. Um, so, you know, again, that's one of the things. It's like anything, isn't it? The frustration is getting started. But once you do, there are massive risks, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm all glossy here. You know, I was ripped off for a builder for, by a, you know, for, for £70,000 on a, a, a seven bed, seven ensuite HMO that I was doing in 2020 and another property as well. And, and I was ripped off for £70,000, which I'm still paying back. You know, that now money is now 
stuck on one of my other properties and I'm going to be paying that back forever and he's effectively run off with the money so I, I, I just mentioned that because I don't want to sound like everything is all sparkly and you know streets paved with gold because it's not the, the business is risky I thought I was experienced enough for that not to happen to me and it turns out that he was more experienced in taking relieving people of their money you know so I just I just throw that in there as a bit of a reality check that it's not all you know golden but i was able to leverage equity because the property values have gone up so much in the past few years the value of my portfolio had you know like everybody's had, had risen quite substantially um and quite unexpectedly because we didn't know what was going to happen with covid it could have gone the other way you know and so i am quite opportunistic i am i am a businesswoman and i looked at that and thought well that money's just sat there the rent's the same um, the, the property values have gone up. I can take some money out of that and, and use it to continue to expand my portfolio. So I've done three properties in the last 12 months and two the year before that um, and bought the big old chapel that we're going to be doing as well. So that, that was how I did it. Um, but, you know, at some point you run out of money doing that. But um, that, that was how I financed it. Oh, thank you for sharing, Caroline. That is, uh, do you know, I've, I've, I've been looking forward to this and I am not surprised at all that we have overrun. And thank you very much for staying and, you know, answering my questions because it's just such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, oh, people, <laughs> people in the room, if you're not already following Caroline, please tap on her face and you know, follow her. And you know, tap on the bell icon so that when she's talking, you get to be notified when she's talking so that you can go and listen to her again. Caroline, how can people reach out to you to, if they need your help, if they'd like to you know, make contact with you? What is the best way to actually contact you? Um, yeah, so I'm very poor on my social media, Patricia, aren't I? I, um, I just do things because I, I, I like doing it as opposed to I'm not trying to sell anything or, you know, if people want me to help them, I will. Um, and the best way you can, you can probably just message me here on Clubhouse. It has a message, private message facility now. Um, so you can message me here on Clubhouse. You can also find me on LinkedIn and also Facebook. I'm not very good on Instagram, so I wouldn't bother with that one. But I know, Patricia, that I need to sort it out. It's on my list. <laughs> need to sort my link tree out and get all of that done but um i haven't yet so clubhouse linkedin uh caroline pattinson uh chester home share or facebook excellent so you have heard it here and again this um uh, this recording today is going to be on clubhouse for at least a week i keep saying at least a week and then i leave it on for i haven't quite decided yet but at least a week definitely at least a week but on wednesday it will be released as a podcast so if you would like to listen to it as a podcast you know with all of my initial wittering being edited out um you will be able to find it on you know as i said earlier the um popular podcast platforms and if you tap on the link above, that's for people in the room at the moment, you might be able to see um, if one of if your favourite um, listening app is actually one of the ones that the podcast has been submitted to. And um, yes, and if you enjoy this, please review and or rate it because it'll be great to just, you know, know that 
you've really enjoyed listening to Caroline. And on that note, Caroline, I want to say thank you so much for spending your afternoon here. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, and thank you. <laughs> no, bye to me. It's an honour and a privilege. Oh, thank you. And next week, people, we've got Jason Patterson. So Caroline is Pattinson and Jason is Patterson. So they're not related. Um, and Jason, if you listen to him, you are going to want to come back here next week on Wednesday at 12 noon to listen to him because he and I are going to get into short leases and all the other things that he's doing. Um, so I look forward to seeing everyone next week. And thank you very much for spending your afternoon with Caroline and myself. <laughs>